0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15-20 to minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Friday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, Literally Heather. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to sit down with my affiliate partner, Palmetto State Armory, for a discussion on my Shouse in the House podcast. Due to a couple technical difficulties, that episode should be released sometime in the next couple days, so be sure you're subscribed to that podcast as well so you don't miss it. Today's deal is another bundle. I just really love these because I think it's an incredibly affordable method by which to get into the rifle and handgun game at an extremely affordable price. Today you can pick up a PSA 5.7 Rock Complete Pistol and a PSA PA-15 Nitride M4 556 Classic Rifle together for only $749.99. I'm not even joking. The link, as always, is in the show description. Please check that out and pick yours up while supplies last. Uganda's Parliament on Tuesday passed one of the world's strictest anti-LGBTQ bills, mostly unchanged, including provision for long jail terms and the death penalty after the president requested some parts of the original legislation to be toned down. The new bill retains most of the harshest measures of the legislation adopted in March, which drew condemnation from the United States the European Union and United Nations, as well as major corporations. I will go further into the bill itself, but rather than me offering my traditional snarky commentary about the U.S. imposing its degeneracy around the world, I'll play this brief clip to afford you the opportunity to hear what people actually in country have to say about these things.
1: Comes to Zambia with 16 million. And guess what, 16 million only for Zambia. The 16 million, ask me, what is it for? What is it for? For human rights. Across the river, China and Russia, coming to South Africa, ask me for what? For what? For a military training and skills sharing of security. So the Americans are more interested in a transgender, homosexual agenda around the world. They will invest their money and give you money to protect human rights. Russia and China are coming with weapons and militarization strategies so that we can protect ourselves. So I want to say this very loud and clear to the Americans. Continue on your transgender agenda. (laughs) Stay there. Leave us to do politics on the other side. Because what we need right now is not a minority human rights activation. What we need is a societal transformation. And for you as Americans to think that we really envy that when you have an anti- Lesbian, anti-gay, LGBT principle, then tourists will drop. Let me correct that once and for all school. and cut and clip this and it must be loud and clear. Are you saying to me that all the tourists are gay? And when you hear that this is a non-gay zone, tourism will suffer. Question number one. Question number two, are you saying that we don't have a right to expressing ourselves as Africans? Question number three: if democracy means majority rules. And majority votes against a principle. Then why won't you allow that to become law? Are you saying the minority must manage the majority? Or the majority must manage the minority? That if that whole ideology is wrong, then take democracy in a nice black dustbin bag and throw it outside. Because what you are telling us is is, is by the people, for the people, with the people, and all all those slogans you hear, what democracy represents. If we are 10 in the room and nine people say no, and one people, one person says it. yes. Democracy says you go with the majority. So if we say we want to make Africa democratic, and the demographics of our democracy says no, then why do you philosophically want to manipulate the will of the majority to favour the will of the minority? Then this is where it really gets confusing to me, because you are selling me one thing one. I understand this democracy because it is based on the principle one, two, three, four, five. When it comes to practice, no, you can't practice it like that. Then what do you want? Do you want democracy? Do you want anarchy? Do you want indigenous governing systems? Do you want meritocracy? Maybe let's find another way of governing ourselves. But the ideology of democracy, being founded on majority rule, does not count because the rule that runs the South African Constitution right now is not majority count. I will go on record for being on your show and saying it loud and clear without mixing words. Put a hundred people on an island and lock them away from everybody. Put a hundred people on an island who are heterosexual. Those are homosexual. Come back after 50 or 20 or 30 years. On that island, you'll find graves with no living being. there. On this island, you'll find 10,000 people growing and exploring and moving. So, having said that, we as a society, particularly as African society, we also as traditional people, have a right to our self-preservation and continuity as a people. Alternative lifestyles must be practiced where they must be practiced, but the main agenda of societal drive must be left to the right, because even those that are on the left come from the right. I don't know if that makes sense to you. The An conversation understand. that we had for the same-sex marriages was, was, was very tricky for me because it did not seek to address the core issue. Are we saying this is what the people want? Or are we saying this is what the international community wants? Point number one. Point number two, in the event that I decide as a heterosexual, that I want to bring up my children in a heterosexual way, why does the homosexual want to stand on the path of my own children and how I want to institutionalize them? And then pollute them with what they want. If you want to pollute these children, make your own. <laughs> Why come to the heterosexual and then dictate the ways of the homosexual? And dic- So wait, 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 who, is, who, who, has, who has got the right this time? Are you saying the rights rely with the homosexual? Or the rights rely with the heterosexual? The balance needs to be found right there. That every citizen has got the right to life and decide how they want to run their lives and how they want to bring up their children, etc. And so ultimately we might end up with an urania let's create a state where this can happen there and those who want to live in this other space they can move into that space and we are free to choose to change it's a very deeper conversation but and also especially we're giving it we're giving it the time it demands we're giving it the, the depth of thought that it demands so that in the midst of just saying human rights human rights we don't become emotional over protect gay rights protect heterosexual rights because when you protect homosexual rights you also need to become respectful of the heterosexual. And when you're promoting heterosexual, you also need to, pro- to protect the homosexual.
0: The provisions retained in the new bill allow for the death penalty in cases of so-called aggravated homosexuality, a term the government uses to describe actions including having gay sex when HIV positive. It allows a 20-year sentence for promoting homosexuality, which activists say could criminalize. Any advocacy for the rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer citizens, the legislation now heads back to President Yawiri Yaweri Museveni, who can sign it? It's funny that Museveni is really close to Mussolini, but anyway, <laughs> veto or return it again to Parliament. Museveni, a vocal opponent of LGBTQ rights has signaled that he intends to sign the legislation once certain changes are made, including the addition of measures to rehabilitate gay people. It was not immediately clear if the new bill satisfied his request, and his office was not available for comment. The legislation was amended to stipulate that merely identifying as LGBTQ is not a crime. It also revised a measure that obliged people to report homosexual activity to only require reporting when a child is involved. Proponents of the bill say broad legislation is needed to counter what they allege are efforts by LGBTQ Ugandans to recruit children into homosexuality. After a voice vote on Tuesday that followed less than half hour of debate, Parliament Speaker Anita Among urged lawmakers to remain defiant in the face of international criticism. Let's protect Ugandans. Let's protect our values and our virtues, Among said. The Western world will not come and rule Uganda. Western governments suspended aid, imposed visa restrictions, and curtailed security security cooperation In response to another anti-LGBTQ law Museveni signed in 2014, that law was nullified within months by a domestic court on procedural grounds. The U.S. government said last week that it is now assessing the implications of the looming law for activities in Uganda under its flagship HIV-AIDS program. So every now and then, you come across a fact check that warrants a discussion. There is a viral claim on social media right now that the new FedNow service that is launching is a program that will give the Federal Reserve the power to monitor, freeze and even seize private bank accounts based on a person's behavior or political beliefs. To me, it appears there be <laughs> it appears there is a bit of conflation between the FedNow program and central bank digital currency. Those are two separate things. The FedNow service does not give the agency additional surveillance and enforcement authorities. It simply replaces the agency's system for banks to process checks and electronic payments. I hate the Federal Reserve as much as the next guy, but I think it's important that we remain realistic about what are legitimate threats and what are not. Otherwise, we become the boy who cried wolf, and nothing is a threat until we're gobbled up and eaten and no one bats an eye. Nicholas Anthony, who is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute, which is another Washington-based research group, noted that banking institutions are already required to report suspicious financial behavior and other potential threats under the Federal Bank Secrecy Act, which was enacted in 1970 to crack down on money laundering and the financing of terrorism. While there are many sound concerns around FedNow being an unnecessary expansion of the Federal Reserve's footprint, he said, I do not share the same concerns that FedNow will expand surveillance. There isn't anything secretive about the planned system either, um, as the blog post claims. The Fed has provided regular updates on the process's launch and a frequently asked questions page, and even published a notice in the Federal Register early in the process in order to solicit public feedback. Fed officials have stressed FedNow is unrelated to the notion of a government-run digital currency, which social media users also falsely claim would lead to the elimination of cash. The Federal Reserve has made no decision on issuing a central bank digital currency and would not do so without clear support from Congress and the executive branch, ideally in the form of a specific authorizing law. A CBDC would not replace cash or other payments um, or other payment options. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, President Biden is flipping the script on Republicans by casting himself as the protector of freedom, going on offense by using a word and concept conservatives have frequently cited to push back on the president and his party. Biden's campaign launch video was titled Freedom, and he referenced freedom or freedoms six times over the course of the small clip. The campaign's first official ad used those words seven times. The president's team has used the term aggressively to tie the Republicans, and in particular his political foe Donald Trump, to the January 6th riot at the Capitol, and some in the GOP have been reluctant to condemn and to highlight GOP efforts to curb abortion access and squash dissent in state houses. It's pretty clear the strategy here is going to be, quote, Republicans are coming after our freedoms and our ability to do X, Y, and Z, said one Democratic strategist. Those are typically talking points that Republicans use, so we're playing on their turf and we're winning. The effort puts Biden on a collision course with Trump, former Vice President Pence, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who all frequently talk about freedom, even as their visions for the country diverge sharply with Joe Biden's. Joe Biden has weaponized the DOJ against the American citizens in the most egregious way. He's actively pursued the disarmament of law-abiding citizens. He's expanded surveillance of citizens and journalists. He mandated military members to inject themselves with poison or be severed from the service. This is a joke, and it's not going to work. Trying to spin the fact that sexualizing children and murdering unborn babies is freedom will be a massive failure, and I, for one, cannot wait to watch him crash and burn on this. Biden has been embracing the idea of freedom and pitching himself as the candidate most willing to defend basic freedoms in the early days of his 2024 campaign. It's been a week, y'all. The president and his campaign have emphasized Republican attacks on reproductive rights through restrictive reproductive rights. By killing the babies, you're not reproducing anything. It drives me crazy when they tried to like flip the the language on things to make it sound positive. Though restrictive abortion bans at the state level after conservative Supreme Court majority, majority overturned Roe v. Wade. The campaign has spoken about Americans' right to be free from gun violence and the fear of mass shootings. Putting a spin on the notion by GOP, the Democrats want to impede on their gun rights, which they do. He comes out every day and says, I'm going to take your assault rifles. Well, he says, oh, anyway, to portray the president as a defender of the basic pillars of democracy, Biden's launch video begins with and features violent images from January 6th in which Trump supporters stormed the Capitol to stop Congress from completing the last step in certifying the 2020 election. And Biden and the campaign have framed conservative culture war issues like book bans, And laws targeting gender affirming care, uh, there's another one of those language flips, as a matter of freedom, believing it will resonate with Americans who see GOP lawmakers as overstepping. For years, conservatives have tried to claim the freedom mantle, painting Democrats as a party of government overreach that would interfere in the day to day lives and decisions of Americans. Republicans have frequently cited the idea of freedom to defend the Second Amendment after mass shootings, to oppose early Biden administration efforts to require COVID-19 vaccines in certain situations, and to support arguments against gender-affirming policies at the state level. I told you, I'm not even an expert. And I already told you that those are the three things that he, he does not have a ground to stand on. The Biden campaign does not want to cede the rhetoric Rhetorical ground on the issue of freedom. Campaigns are very much competitions over framing. A political science professor at George Washington, Danny Hayes, said, You have Biden saying, I'm defending freedom. That's a hallmark of democracy. It's a different way of talking about freedom than Republicans typically do. Huh. Uh, Montana State Representative Zephyr, who was censured and barred from the House floor by state Republicans, cannot yet return. To the chamber, a judge ruled on Tuesday. The judge rejected a motion from Zephyr, one of the state's first openly transgender lawmakers, and his lawyers to allow him to return to the House floor and participate in debate. Zephyr was censured and barred from the House in April for the remainder of the 2023 legislative session for criticizing Republican colleagues who voted for a bill in the state that would ban gender affirming care for minors. He told the lawmakers they would have blood on their hands. But lawyers for the state lobbied the court to not grant Zephyr's emergency motion to allow him back into the state house, arguing it would be a violation of the separation of powers between the legislative and judicial branches. They also also argued that Zephyr was expelled from the chamber for, quote, good cause. One legislator cannot be allowed to halt the ability of the other 99 to engage in civil Orderly debate concerning issues affecting Montana. The lawsuit was nothing more than an attempt by outside groups to interfere with Montana's lawmaking process. Today's decision is a win for the rule of law and the separation of powers enshrined in our Constitution. Zephyr and Democratic allies have slammed the decision by state Republicans to banish him from the legislature, framing it as an assault on free speech. And at an attempt to silence his voice and support for transgender issues. Montana Governor Greg Gianforte signed the bill that banned gender-affirming care for minors in the state last Friday, making the state one of a slew of Republican-led states that have enacted bans and restrictions on the care. The silencing of Zephyr has put him in two national headlines. Following the recent move in the Republican-led Tennessee House to banish two Black state lawmakers for their protest over gun violence. The lawmakers were reinstated in April. This next story is actually pretty interesting. Rep uh, Yvette Clark, who is a Democrat from New York, introduced a bill Tuesday that would require political groups or campaigns to disclose the use of content created by artificial intelligence, or AI, in political ads. The upcoming 2024 election cycle will be the first time in U.S. history where AI-generated content will be used in political ads by campaigns, parties, and super PACs. Unfortunately, our current laws have not kept pace with the rapid development of artificial intelligence technologies. If AI-generated content can manipulate and deceive people on a large scale, it can have devastating consequences for our national security and election security, she added. The bill, which would update the federal campaign finance laws, to include requirements for the disclosures, comes in the wake of the Republican National Committee releasing its first ad with AI-generated content following President Biden's re-election bid announcement. Clark said in an interview with the Washington Post that the ad, which depicted dystopian hypothetical scenarios in Biden's second term, provided the impetus for the new legislation, although the RNC provided disclaimers about the use of AI in the new ad Clark said that other organizations may not do the same. There will be those who will not want to disclose that it's AI generated, and we want to protect against that, particularly when we look at the political season before us, Clark told the Post. Clark's legislation comes as Washington is scrambling to keep up with the effects of the rise of chatbots and AI, and how that will have an impact on the spread of misinformation in the American workforce. The FTC, the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission last week put out a joint statement emphasizing the agency's commitment to enforcing laws centering on fairness and justice as AI is increasingly used for services like housing and healthcare. I think there are really important uses for AI. But there have to be some rules to the road so that American people are not deceived or put into harm's way, Clark said. We will be discussing this on Liberty Happy Hour this evening. I invite you to join us to offer input on whether or not AI should be allowed at all. If it's as dangerous as they say, why even permit it? In a stunning development, which really isn't stunning to anyone that's been paying attention, but okay, The House Oversight Committee issued a subpoena Wednesday for an FBI file that a whistleblower said links President Biden to a criminal scheme involving money for policy decisions during his vice presidency. The tip is a potential breakthrough for GOP investigators looking into Joe Biden's role in his family's business dealings in countries such as China, Mexico, Russia, and Ukraine. Republicans say the file pertains to potential wrongdoing by Joe Biden rather than possible criminal activity by first son Hunter Biden, or another relative that indirectly implicates the president. The alleged corruption is believed to involve a country other than China. Two sources say the whistleblower is not the same person as the IRS agent who anonymously came forward last month to allege a cover-up in the criminal investigation of Hunter Biden. The document subpoenaed by the Oversight Committee is an FD 1023 informant report that was created or modified in June of 2020, months before Biden won the presidency, and must be supplied at a meeting on May 10th, the subpoena says. I wonder if Biden's reelection bid would bring people suffering out of the woodwork. Kind of a, I've held this in and I've suffered through the last two years, but I can't do another six more of this sort of deal. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer said, The new whistleblower tip raises concerns that then-Vice President Biden allegedly engaged in a bribery scheme with a foreign national. The American people need to know if President Biden sold out the United States of America to make money for himself, Comer said. In a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray, Comer and the Senate Budget Committee Ranking Member Chuck Grassley wrote, We have received legally protected and highly credible unclassified whistleblower disclosures. Based on those disclosures, the Republicans wrote, it has come to our attention that the DOJ and the FBI possess an unclassified FD-1023 form that describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. The letter sent alongside the subpoena adds, It has been alleged that the document includes a precise description of how the alleged criminal scheme was employed as well as its purpose. Based on the alleged specificity within the document, it would appear that the DOJ and FBI have enough information to determine the truth and accuracy of the information contained within it. However, it remains unclear what steps, if any, were taken to investigate the matter. What? You mean the DOJ and FBI are derelict in their duty and covering up wrongdoing for the Bidens? This is my shocked voice. For going on five years now, Republicans in Congress have been lobbying, or I am sorry, not lobbying, lobbying unfounded, unproven, politically motivated attacks against the president and his family without offering evidence for their claims or evidence of decisions influenced by anything other than U.S. interests. That's because they prefer floating anonymous innuendo amplified by the megaphone of their allies in right-wing media to get attention to try to distract and deflect from their own unpopular ideas and lack of solutions to the issues the American people actually care about. When it comes to Biden's personal finances, anybody can take a look. He has offered an unprecedented level of transparency, releasing a total of 25 years of tax returns to the American public. Biden has not released information that would show the source of more than $13 million in income in 2017 and 2018 that he and Jill Biden routed through tax dodge entities known as S-Corps. An FBI spokesman said, The FBI received this subpoena and letter. We don't have any additional comment. A Justice Department spokesman said, The department has received the letter and would de- decline to f- comment further. They don't want to comment on the fact that they're sitting on evidence? Again, this is my shocked voice. In a stunning you-have-to-be-kidding-me moment, members of Congress are facing renewed scrutiny over a new disclosure report filed by Florida Democrat Lois Frankel revealing that she dumped First Republic Bank stock prior to its collapse and purchased J.P. Morgan stock before they purchased First Republic, according to a financial disclosure report filed on April 28th. Frankel sold between $1,001 and $15,000 in First Republic stock on March 16th and then bought between $1,001 and $15,000 in JP Morgan stock on March 22nd. Frankel told CNN that her account is managed independently by a money manager who buys and sells stocks at his discretion. Congresswoman Frankel is not facing any investigations. Imagine serving in public office for the people of the United States instead of lining your own pockets. Couldn't be a single person in D.C. When First Republic Bank collapsed earlier this week, some bankers, like the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, said that they thought the worst of the banking crisis was coming to a close, but markets are showing investors are still very wary. San Francisco-based PacWest Bank Corp shares plunged more than 39% Wednesday night, and were halted for volatility multiple times yesterday after investors learned the regional bank was considering a sale. While the bank says it has not experienced a high number of customer withdrawals, the news still stoked fears of a potential surge in withdrawals among regional banks. Regional banks whose shares are falling include Zion's Bancor and ComAmerica. ComAmerica? whose stock dropped more than 12% on Thursday, and KeyCorp, whose stock dropped more than 6%. Meanwhile, TD Bank Group and First Horizon Core called off their planned merger on Thursday, citing uncertainties around regulatory approvals. I reached out to a friend who's very well-connected and and knows what's going on in the financial industry, and we kind of went back and forth yesterday, and I was like, is the entire U.S. banking system going to collapse and his response to me was, I don't think that the entire system is going to collapse. I think we're going to be left with maybe five major bank companies and, and eventually the, um, the central bank digital currency. Uh, last but not least today, four members of the far right Proud Boys organization were found guilty yesterday of seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Enrique Tarrio, Joseph Biggs, Ethan Nordin, and Zachary Rail were found guilty of the rare charge of seditious conspiracy under a Civil War-era statute. Dominic Pizzola, another member of the group, was found not guilty of seditious conspiracy. Tarrio, Biggs, Nordin, and Rail were also found guilty of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding while U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly declared a mistrial on that count for Pizzola after the jury said it could not come to an agreement. All five Proud Boy members were charged with nine counts in connection with the attack on January 6th, while Pizzola, who was caught on video smashing in a window with a Capitol Police shield during the breach and who admitted to his behavior on the stand, was separately charged with a tenth count of stealing the police shield and found guilty on Thursday. Petzola was also found guilty of assaulting, resisting, or impeding certain officers while the four other defendants were acquitted on that charge. The jury reached only a partial verdict and Kelly declared a mistrial on several other counts on which it did not come to a conclusion. The trial unfolded over four months with jury selection beginning in December Opening arguments starting in early January. It was the third seditious conspiracy case to go before jurors since the Capitol attack. Six members of the far right Oath Keepers group, including founder Stuart Rhodes, were convicted on that charge across two trials in November and Jan- January. Jeremy Bertino, a high level member of the Proud Boys who pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy in October, testified for the prosecution. In this latest trial, as part of a plea deal, telling jurors that the Proud Boys believed that they had to do anything that was necessary to save the country. The biggest challenge prosecutors faced was convincing a jury that Tario, the former Proud Boys chairman, was a part of the conspiracy, given that he spent January 6th at a hotel in Baltimore after he was banned from Washington the day before. Tario, in encrypted messages revealed during the trial, acknowledged receiving a message from someone who wanted to, quote, storm the Capitol. But he did not directly endorse that plan, and prosecutors seemed to concede that much of what happened on January 6th happened spontaneously. What they were able to show was that Tario said he wanted a spectacle on January 6th and that he celebrated the attack on the Capitol after it happened, giving the Proud Boys credit for the breach. Several other Proud Boys have pleaded guilty for their actions on January 6th, and another went to trial while the larger seditious conspiracy trial was underway. Joshua Pruitt, a Washington, D.C. bartender who joined the Proud Boys and stormed the Capitol, was sentenced to four and a half years in prison in August. Nicholas Oakes, The founder of the Hawaii chapter of Proud Boys was sentenced to four years in prison in December. Judge Kelly will ultimately sentence the defendants. Dark day in America when the government is so powerful that anything you say or do to hold them accountable is considered seditious conspiracy, and barely anyone is saying a word about it. That is your everything yesterday this morning on a Friday. I hope you guys have a spectacular weekend as stated at the top of the show. We will have Liberty Happy Hour this evening at 1015 Eastern Time on Twitter Spaces. Please join us there if you would like to uh, get your opinions in on the goings on of the week. If not, I will see you guys next week. You guys take care. Have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out ShouseInTheHouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.